Hey guys, it's Katie. We wanted to apologize for missing last week's episode. Matt and I have been in a hectic time with our move, and getting episodes out has become a little harder. Things will settle down eventually, well, hopefully soon, but please be patient with us in the meantime. We didn't want to miss another week, so we are releasing a bonus episode, previously only available to our Ko-Fi supporters. We recorded it last year in rough conditions, so we apologize for the quality, but please enjoy this bonus episode. Welcome to this episode of Save Me an Isle Seat. I'm Katie, and I'm joined by my fellow musical enthusiasts, Amber and Kylie. Hello. Hello. Also joining us is our musical newbie, Matt. Hi. <laughs> and as a very special treat, we have the one and only, my mama, the mama, Elizabeth Bougere. Hey, everybody. So this is the mom that I reference in uh, every musical that is a little vulgar. She- <laughs> <laughs> our mama She's- warning. Yeah, she's the one that the mama warning uh, pertains to the most, because she actually listens to us a lot. And she's actually the reason I got into musicals in the first place. And she actually used to take Amber Kylie and I out to our local big theater, the Muni, to see shows every summer. And that's uh, that's where I got a lot of musical introduction, and I always really enjoyed those days. And it's kind of a tradition that we've kind of spurned on, and I, you know, Matt and I are going to go this summer, and it's if a really it fun opens time. up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they got their set list out for this year. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> What's so great about the Muni is in St. Louis, it was one of the first outdoor theaters ever. And it was a an annual event, and everybody would come, and it would only have, like, one show a year. And I think it was something Shakespearean, and then it would switch over to the musical genre and growing every year. Meet me at the Muni. Muni and Forest Park. Exclusive to St. Louis, Yes. Yeah, we're pretty proud of it. So before we jump into our episode of this week, which Mama did pick, Mama, would you like to tell us about some of your theater background? I have been in the theater and in the fine arts realm since I was a child. My mom, I guess, recognized that I needed some extracurricular activity. <laughs> So uh, we were put into ballet classes, which grew to drama classes and art classes. So I have been in the fine arts arena since I was five or six years old. And it is some of my favorite memories, which is why I thought it was so important for my kids to experience that. And any other kids that I could grab and put in the vehicle and take <laughs> <away>. <laughs> I'm taking you with me. So being a performer, I've, I've done... Everything involved with the theater, uh, on stage, behind stage, in the, the set design, costumes, directing, choreography, all the stuffs, and I'm still an avid fan of watching it. So I've, I've been in, involved with all aspects of the theater. It's just a passion. And one of my favorite things that she used to do it was Broadway camps, so she would go to whatever venue would take her and do a Broadway camp where she would teach the kids a Broadway set list of different songs and choreography and would almost always do every piece yourself. I think only a couple times you had a little bit of help there. Mm -hmm. And the kids would put on a show for their parents at the end of the week. And that was always really fun. It's amazing. Like what kids can learn and retain when they're having a good time. 
And they remember it, too. Yeah. I mean, I still have kids coming up to me that were part of those camps saying that it was, you know, some of their favorite stuff. It's amazing what you can do in a week. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, so that's a little bit of mom's uh, history. And so now you can kind of understand why I got into it. And I think definitely had a hand in Kylie especially getting into it. And it was just just really fond memories. It's spreading. It's it's spreading like a virus. (laughs) Coronavirus. Broadway virus. Better virus. (laughs) Yeah, better than the coronavirus. If you ever had a song stuck in your head, it's working. (laughs) (laughs) You can thank Mama. (laughs) And if it's a musical song, it's really working. So in this very special bonus episode, for you you fancy Patreon folks, we like you a lot. (laughs) In this special episode, we're going to go over the musical Annie Get Your Gun. And we do have this one up on our Spotify. Uh, It's a little different in the way that we normally do it. In this case, we have the 1950 movie rendition, which featured Betty Hutton and Howard Keel, simply because that one's our favorite, and my, and my personal favorite is the one I grew up with. But we also did tack in the the original one with Ethel Merman. Almost said Ethel. Yeah. Ethel. <laughs> of Ethel Merman on there as well for comparison. And I know they have a different, they have a couple, a couple different songs in that one for you to compare to. Let's, let's go ahead and jump into a bit of the background, because the background... As the show is older, it has a lot of history to it, which is pretty amazing. It's been a pretty fantastically running show. So the show is loosely based on a fictionalized version of Annie Oakley's life, her time as a sharpshooter in Buffalo Bill's Wild West traveling show, and her romance with fellow sharpshooter Frank E. Butler. And the idea actually came from Dorothy Fields, who wanted to write a musical about Annie Oakley and to star her friend Ethel Merman. So she... She kind of wrote this based on the idea that Ethel Merman was going to be this this personification of Annie Oakley and just saw her in that role. So I thought that was really cool. And she approached actually a brand new production team to take on her idea, which was uh, Sirs Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein II. So this was after their success with Oklahoma, and they decided to open up their own production company to do their own works and take on other shows. So they're actually some of the bigger names in the business. So that's pretty cool. They agreed to produce the show. And Jerome Kern was set to compose the music with Dorothy Fields writing the script. And she actually had her brother, Herbert, who would write the book with her for the show. Kern arrived to work on the the music for the show, but actually collapsed on the street in New York, in New York City from a cerebral hemorrhage on November 5th, 1945. And he passed away on November 11th, 1945. So it was Whoops. really unfortunate. And I'm sure the show would be completely different piece had he continued to work on it and it's a it's a sad loss for the broadway community in that regard i didn't know that yeah because he produced tons of of musical yeah and just one of those like can't do anything for a cerebral hemorrhage most of the time so everything yeah he held on for what was that six six days that's impressive so after he passed away irving berlin was then approached about the musical's score and Dorothy actually stepped down as the lyricist, knowing that Irving preferred to write both lyrics and music, which I think was pretty pretty good of her, considering it's her baby, more or less. That's That was a pretty good decision on her part. But Irving actually initially declined the offer, not knowing how to approach the show because it was a little different from what he had tackled before. But Hammerstein pushed for him to at least give it a go. Like, here, take the script, go home figure out what you might want to do. And go sleep on it. Go sleep on it. And 
days later, Irving would come out with the songs Doing What Comes Naturally, You Can't Get a Man with a Gun, and There's No Business Like Show Business, which is arguably the most notable songs in the show. And he hammered these out in a couple days. He just had, I guess, a stroke of inspiration. These are the three mm-hmm. songs that are almost always known when you talk about the show. They'd come up in, you know, every Broadway compilation you can think of, especially, you know, there's no business like show business. Like, I'm pretty sure everyone knows yep. like the song for <laughs> yeah. all yeah. Everyone knows yep. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing what you can do when you just lock yourself in a room for a couple days, yeah. I guess. And it's like, Hammerstein's like, just, yo, just try it. And everyone's like, all right. <laughs> so those three songs worked out so well, he went on to compose the rest of the show, which is awesome. And there is no business like show business almost got left out of the original show because Irving mistakenly thought that Rogers didn't like it. I don't know how he got that impression because wow. Rogers raved about it and loved mm-hmm. it. So I, I guess it was just artist taking too too hard of a, a, a critique or something. But it mm. almost didn't make it in the show, which blows my mind. Crazy. And a little fun fact, the romance between Annie and Frank was actually added during development. It wasn't in the original script, even though in real life they dated. Hmm. <laughs> and married. And married. And they got married. Okay. So it is rumored that the role of Annie Oakley was originally offered to Mary Martin, who actually turned it down, and then her husband went on opening night and saw it and told her, you're going to kill yourself. Oh. <laughs> you missed the role She of missed out. <laughs> Which is crazy. So oh, then yeah. when the show went for its post-Broadway national tour and Ethel Merman declined to do it, Mary Martin, of course, jumped at the chance and toured for approximately two years. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Interestingly enough, her doing such a belting set of songs actually lowered her voice to a mezzo-soprano to alto range. For the 1999 revival, Peter Stone revised the show to eliminate the insensitive references to American Indians, which is fair. (laughs) And that included the songs uh, Colonel Buffalo Bill and I'm an Indian Too. Which... I love the songs. They're very bouncy and fun, but I get it. I definitely yeah. understand. <laughs> Did they replace it with something else? No, they just took them out. Okay. So he said that the book was actually the hardest thing to revise because it was written for its time period, right? And so it was hard to kind of change it for current times. Uh, so taking out all that insensitivity took a lot of revision. And Native Americans actually protested and criticized a lot of the different versions of the show for its portrayal of red face and its promotion of cultural stereotypes. Again, fair. But Very fair. It's, that's the way it was. Yeah, but you don't do that now. Yeah, and so that's how he talked about it. Is he was like, you know, I understand that this is how it was for that time period, but I have to make it relevant for this time period. And so it had to right. be sensitive while also remaining its true True form. to the story. Yeah, so... I guess he managed to do it because the show is still pretty popular, right? Mm-hmm. And he also restructured things so that the song There's No Business Like Show Business is the opener. So it kind of presents as a show within a show. Which I think is kind of mm-hmm. cool. It's a neat take. Yes. So when it began, the show premiered on Broadway on May 16, 1946 and ran for 1,147 performances. Oof. Wow. This is the one that starred Ethel Merman as Annie and Ray Middleton as Frank Butler. Then it toured the United States starting October 3rd, 1947. This is the one with Mary Martin as Annie. 
It had its West End premiere on June 7, 1947, where it ran for 1,304 performances. Goodness gracious. It had a production in Australia, which started on July 19, 1947. Then a French version, Annie du Far West, began production in Paris on February 19, 1950, which ran for over a year. Then there was a 1966 Broadway revival, which opened on May 31st, 1966, and ran until July 9th. Then it went on a 10-week U.S. tour. It returned to Broadway on September 21st for 78 performances. Ethel Merman reprised her role as Annie. Some things got changed in this rendition. The, a secondary romance between two side characters, Tommy Keeler and Winnie Tate, was eliminated. And these, I did, I did read a little bit about them because I don't really know much about the the original ones, but they were actually like knife throwers in Ooh. the Buffalo Bills Wild West show, and uh, Tommy was half Native American, so they're just like little side characters that just not in all renditions were seen as important to the story. The song "An Old Fashioned Wedding" was specifically added to that rendition. Yeah, to that rendition. So this rendition was nominated for two Tony Awards and was telecast in ninety in a 90-minute version on NBC, March 19th, 1967. Mm-hmm. And I think it was one of the only shows from that theater during that time period to have uh, one of their shows televised. I was going to say, it's got to be like one of the first. Yeah. And yeah, during that, I think that... That whole show list was, was the only one for them to do. Because NBC was like the, the one of the bigger ones at the at that time period. So a few other productions that we do want to cover there. Because it, it's a, been around for a long time, so there's quite a few. But uh, some of the notable ones. Um, in 1973, it had, the, it had a showing at the Shady Grove Music Fair production, which ran until 1974. So it had a full year of productions. In 1976, a Mexican production was produced by the name of Annie S. Untiro, this production did so well, it produced the first Spanish-language version of the soundtrack, which is super cool. I feel like doing translations for the songs would be, like, weird. I'm sure it would be. I'm kind of curious to hear it. <laughs> but same with, like, the French version, I think that would have also been a little Yeah, but how different. cool would it be to, you know, be able to share that with other cultures? Yeah, I wonder if they have, like, the southern drawl in that <laughs> accent. <laughs> southern drawl Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> Como estas? Oh, gee, <laughs> y'all. Partner. Oh. So in 1977, there was a Los Angeles Civic Light Opera production, which saw Debbie Reynolds as Annie. Oh, Annie Oakley. I bet she was a good Annie Oakley. Yeah. Oh, I she bet. She's actually... So Debbie Reynolds uh, was approached to play Annie Oakley in the 1950 film at one point, too, when that when that was it's still in the air. But she's she still got passed up for... There was a 1986 UK tour in London revival, which saw American rock star Susie Quattro as Annie. And this played from July 29th to October 4th. And they recorded the first ever London cast recording, which is pretty cool. And in 1992, they had another London revival, which was short-lived, but also produced a cast recording. In 1999, there was the big one, the big Broadway revival. And this started previews on February 2nd, 1999. And officially opened on March 4th, 1999, and closed on September 1st, 2001. So this one had 35 previews and 1,045 performances. Mm. 
So this one did super, super well. Bernadette Peters, who played Annie, won the 1999 Tony Award for Best Leading Actress in a Musical. Oh. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what if I would have chosen her to be Annie Oakley. Well, apparently she did great. Apparently she did. <laughs> the production also won a Tony for Best Revival of a Musical, which was, we talked about that earlier, where they revised you know everything that took out some, some of the pieces and rewrote the book itself. So it did really well for a revival. This one was the one that was presented as a show within a show. It dropped the songs Colonel Buffalo Bill, I'm a Bad Bad Man, and I'm an Indian Too, but included an old-fashioned wedding. This also added major dance numbers throughout, so it made it a little more more fun and interactive. Uh, It reintroduced the secondary romance of Winnie and Tommy. And in this rendition, Annie and Frank's final shooting match ends in a tie. And this show also saw a lot of actresses being able to play the role of Annie including many Broadway debuts, some names that you might not have expected, like Susan Lucci, who is best known for her long-running character in All My Children. She played Annie from December 27, 1999 until January 16, 2000. Cheryl Ladd, who is known mostly for her part in Charlie's Angels, also did Annie in uh, the year 2000, September 6th. Reba McIntyre. Huh. The country, she's a country music artist. Yeah. Um, she, bet she did a great job, too. Oh, you see it. She was uh, from January 26, 2001 to June 22, 2001. Short-lived. Her first time on Broadway, though. Oh, okay. And Crystal Bernard, who had been playing Annie in the national tour, assumed the role of Annie on Broadway on June 23, 2001. The U.S. tour started on July 25, 2000. Yeah, so she kind of just scooped right on in there once the the actual tour was done so she just kept going which is super cool so in 2006 the prince musical theater production revived the 1966 version for one month and it starred andrea mcardle who was the original annie from the musical annie of the 1977 broadway rendition yeah so she was the kid annie who grew up to play annie oakley nice yeah so I thought that was super neat. That is super neat. Yeah. And then there's the 2009 London Revival, which was scheduled from October 16, 2009 to January 2, 2010, but they added an extra week due to popular demand. Which I could see. It's a yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, could, I would love to see this one. It is a great show to watch. In, two, in 2010, Ravinia Festival Concert ran from August 13th through the 15th, 2010, to celebrate the 150th anniversary of Annie Oakley's birth. Yeah, so that's a nice little little thing. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. It's like, yeah, let's just do a let's just do a little weekend of it. Very cool. So the show also saw film and TV adaptations. So in 1950, MGM made a movie version, which, like we've said, is the soundtrack we're working off of today. And this musical starred Betty Hutton and Howard Keel. The role of Annie was actually originally given to Judy Garland, but there was a lot of difficulties with the productions, and she had just gotten off of another musical, and she was just really worn down, and so she ended up being fired from the cast, and then Betty Hutton was cast. In 1957, a production starring Mary Martin as Annie and John Raitt as Frank Butler was broadcast on NBC. And then in 1967, that production that featured Ethel Merman reprising her role was broadcast on NBC. So the 1957 showing has been rebroadcast throughout the years, but 
The videotapes starring Ethel Merman have apparently been irretrievably lost, which is really yeah. creepy. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's like someone went in and like took all the <laughs> Someone like snuck into the whatever holds the internet and just like deleted it. That's weird. It was Ethel Merman. <laughs> <laughs> it's being held on the Broadway black so, like, market. Either you love Ethel Merman or you can't stand Ethel Merman. I think there's no in between. Huh. wonder which one she falls under. Right. For herself. <laughs> the, the only thing that actually exists from this performance is a video and audio clip of I Got Sun in the Morning and Moon at Night and then an, an audio-only recording of the entire 90-minute show. Which, that's huh. the one that's on the Spotify, is the 90-minute show. But they only have the audio from it. Weird. They have, they've got a couple clips of Judy Garland doing her part, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had recorded all of the songs and was working on filming before they fired her. So that the audio recordings for all of those still exist as well, yeah. That's yeah, cool. and she also, I think, she she's had... The only issues with her health, like, she had to take a break, and then she went on to do uh, another big movie, and she did fine in that one. Yeah. So I think she was just worn out at this time. Yeah, she also didn't get along with the director, and she got him fired, and they got a new director, and then she still got fired. So, well, it's fine. We're just not going to talk about that. There's a lot of issues. <laughs> we're just, yeah, we're just going to move on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, as I said, there was a lot of background in this one, because it is such an older show, but it is still... Uh, super awesome, and we hope to catch it at some point if it ever comes through our way. And so the description of the acts that we're going to go over is the one that was based on the revised book written in 1966, which is pretty similar to the movie, is only slightly different. So it's it's a pretty it's still a pretty standard story throughout. So there's not a lot of differences. So I like this this version of the story. It had all the offensive things in it. It does have the offensive things in it. <laughs> It does. Do <laughs> we want the offensive thing? This, no. But when we get to that, to the, where some of that comes in, I'll, I'll kind of address like the historical part of it as well because she she did actually have a lot of dealings with the Native Americans. It was pretty cool. So let's jump into Act One here. So we have the Buffalo Bills Wild West show visiting Cincinnati, Ohio, and it introduces itself with the song Colonel Buffalo Bill. And so Frank Butler is a sharpshooter with the show who also happens to be a little bit of a womanizer. And he kind of goes over this in the song, I'm a bad, bad man. So I guess he knows that he's terrible. But he comes into town and he challenges anyone to a shooting match. He's like, I'm the best. Let's put some money on. Let's put money where my mouth is. So they're taking over this, this local hotel in town. And the owner of the hotel, Foster Wilson, really doesn't like the show. I mean taking over all of his rooms because there's a lot going on there. You know, like in the movie, there's like chickens flying around and there's just a bunch of wrangling going on and it's shenanigans. Yes. It's taking over the hotel and the grounds. And the grounds. The have to be set up. And yeah. So it's horses. a bit of a mess for his business. So he doesn't appreciate it. And he, so he takes up a side bet of $100 on the shooting match. He's like, I'll find someone. I want to beat this show. Cause this is ridiculous. And here we're introduced to Annie Oakley as she enters and she shoots a bird off the hat of Dolly Tate. And she's like, well, I thought it was a live bird. What's the bird doing on your hat? I was like, yeah, she <laughs> <laughs> the best reaction to fancy hats. Reasonable. Well, yeah. the, the character of Annie Oakley, she's very backwoods. She's not very educated. And so she's there's no school learning. So what she does know is how to shoot. Yeah. Yeah, that's all she needs to know. And she kind of explains 
that in the song doing what comes naturally where she's like yeah i don't i don't really need anything else i get by you know what of it <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need books to know how to live get in my way i'll shoot you <laughs> <laughs> there's that <laughs> so foster wilson learns that annie's such a great shot and so he decides to have her enter into the contest against frank butler because he's like well i think you can win my hundred dollars back <laughs> right <laughs> so he just kind of like He's like, scoops her up and just like, okay, go. <laughs> go get him, tiger. Here's your gun. Shoot. Pew. <laughs> so while waiting for the match to begin, Annie meets Frank and she's instantly smitten, which I think is adorable. No. <laughs> and she doesn't actually know that he's in the competition. Whoops. Just a cute, cute guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. And so she asks him if he likes her and he actually goes on to explain exactly the kind of girl that he likes. So he sings A Girl That I Marry, in which he describes a girl that's, you know, that's all fancy and wears perfume and she's just like very pretty and sophisticated and definitely the opposite of Annie. Yeah. Whoops. And Whoops. So, <laughs> and so Annie laments about her inability to get a man because she only knows how to use a gun, uh, which according to the song that Frank just sang is not going to get her a guy. True. And so she sings the song, You Can't Get a Man with a Gun. Which I, I, I love the song. You could, <laughs> you could. If you, like, really wanted to. She addresses that in the song. Yeah, yeah she does. She's like, oh, well, I could shoot him and, you, you know, but that's eh, not going to do me much good. Right. <laughs> won't help you keep a man. Yeah. But you can get one for sure. True. You might, you sure. might not and keep mount one. Him on your wall. <laughs> Although it might make it easier to keep him. If he can't run away. <laughs> Maybe. We're entering into a bit of a Seven Brides for Seven Brothers situation here. Um, <laughs> That's a different episode. Which, if you want to listen to it, we'll link in the show notes. Check it out. Hey. <laughs> Go and check out our website. We've done that one. Anyway. Also starring Ho Howard Keel. Yeah, also starring Howard Keel. Yes. Yep. So, at this point... <laughs> anyway. So, eventually, Annie does learn that she's competing against Frank in the match. And she actually ends up winning the contest because she's awesome. <laughs> Pew pew. And then Buffalo Bill and Charlie Davenport, who's the show's manager, ask Annie to join their show. And so Annie agrees, mainly because she loves Frank. She doesn't <laughs> really know what show business is, but she's like, okay, this guy is cool and I like to shoot, so why not? <laughs> Get paid money to shoot? Nice. Whoa. They explain show business to her in the song There's No Business Like Show Business, which of course is a classic, as we've discussed. It's fantastic. It is fantastic. It's classic theater in a song, so... Right. They all end up going on the road together, and over time, Frank becomes just as smitten with Annie. Aww. Aww. Due to her plain-spoken, honest, and tomboyish ways. And as they travel, he tries to explain to her what love is in the song, They Say It's Wonderful. Which is, yeah, a very, very sweet song, and she's already super in love with him, and he's like, I don't know how to address feelings, but I like you, I think. <laughs> <laughs> So now that everything is going hunky-dory with their romance, we have to enter conflict. Da, 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 da. Buffalo Bill and Charlie discover that their rival, Pawnee Bill's Far East show, will be playing in St. Paul, Minnesota, while the Wild West show will be playing in a nearby Minneapolis. Da, da, da. This brings them to ask Annie to do a special stunt on a motorcycle to bring in more business for them. Annie agrees, again, just to impress Frank. Yeah, you know. So Frank plans to propose to Annie after the show and realizes she's got him totally off kilter in the song My Defenses Are Down. 
big production number. Oh yeah, I love this one's gonna stuck in my head just randomly. I don't know why, <laughs> it just does. So Annie performs innocently that special trick to become an instant star. So that is when she's spotted by Chief Sitting Bull. Yes, the actual real Chief Sitting Bull. And he adopts her into the Sioux tribe in the song, I'm an Indian Too. I don't know if that was actual historic fact, but... Actually, yes. I was just about to interject and do that. He really did, quote-unquote, adopt her into the clan. Oh, yeah, but I'm talking about the song. Yeah. I don't know if he sang that to her. I don't think he sang that song. No. He he gave her his special moccasins to show that she was part of the the Sioux tribe. So I thought that was pretty... It was pretty neat. So Annie does this special trick just because she was asked and she was hoping that it was going to endear Frank to her even more. But because it just, it shot her into superstardom, Frank is completely hurt and more than jealous. And he's angry that that she has outranked him in, as far as stardom. He bruises his so little he ego. Isn't, he isn't considered as big of a star anymore, knowing now that, uh, that Annie overshadows him. And he honestly believes that she did it on purpose. He quits the show and leaves Annie to join the competing show, Pawnee Bill, to to save his his stardom. Yeah, so he's like, I'm supposed to be the you know the big star yeah, and you're gonna do me. this to me. I'm gonna go join the other show. <laughs> Whiny man syndrome. Get out of here. Right, which is absolutely ridiculous. And I think in the the actual like, real-life Annie Oakley and Frank Butler, he was actually super smitten with her awesome shooting skills and proposed to her, like, right away. He's like, wow, you can shoot? Awesome. So, to create drama in the show... <laughs> My kind of woman. <laughs> yeah. To create drama in the show, obviously, you know, he doesn't feel that way, but... <sighs> what a butt. Yep. So, after that, so that leads us into our intermission. <laughs> da, da, da. So, uh, what is everyone's first thoughts on Act 1? Annie's takes no no crap. Yeah, Annie's Annie's great. She she's she's awesome. Like she just does what she needs to do to get by, and she doesn't care what everyone thinks. For for being such like an old show, it's a good message. Oh yeah. For young women out there, because it's just like, hey, just do you do do what you like, and you can still get a man. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Annie Oakley is actually a really great role model. <laughs> Well, yeah, like, it's it's the message of, like, you can like a guy and still be true to yourself and still do... Yeah, Kick exactly. You don't have to bow to out <laughs> him, honey. Mm. <laughs> You're awesome. Yes. Yes, you is. Yes. And this one's got a lot of really good sing-along yes. numbers. And it's, it's a lot of fun to listen to. Even if you just listen to it, it's a lot of fun. And watching... I know watching... The, the movie's the only one that I've had experience with, with but the movie is really fun to, to watch and, and see the these characters play out their, you know, their random showbiz showbiz tours and the ups and downs and the drama. And... It's definitely got a classic musical feel, like the the big band oh, yeah. and the like, sweeping music, and it just overtakes you. Romantic swells. Do you, do you think when they're, like, making the music for this, like, when he locked himself in, he's like, these songs are going to be known for a while. Like, do you think they ever get that thought, or do you think they're always like... Well, obviously not, because he almost took out one of the most well-known songs yeah, I guess. in Broadway. Because <laughs> he was just like, oh no, he might not like it. <laughs> but I bet now he's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I think anyone in every aspect of the theater field has that kind of insecurity. For anybody that that little voice something. of doubt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
anything that's trying to do something new and brand new. No, and or because he's already had some, some success anyway, uh, solid success behind him. Is it just is this mm-hmm. going to be well? Is this going to match up to the rest of what I've already done? Yeah. Because theater at that time was the main source of entertainment, mm-hmm. and when you flopped, oh, everybody talked about it. So. <laughs> Did it? Do we know if it got any flack at the beginning, or was it just like critical acclaim off the bat? Almost, almost unanimously, it was critically acclaimed. There was obviously the the lashback from the Native American community, yeah. Because yes, that was part of their history, but they don't like being remembered as being, you know. I don't think that they had that. That are you talking about when it originally released? I don't think that there was that whack then. Not as much so, but it was still it was still a little behind the times, like because they were like the the tribes were, you know, being used by the, you know, Buffalo Bill and that, like, to earn him money and and that's probably not their favorite part to remember about history. Yeah. So, and, so I think they were they were the ones, the only ones that really had a problem with the show. The rest of, like, the Broadway community, they really appreciated it and, you know, it got nominated for a bunch of different awards throughout any rendition of it. You can't leave that show without at least one of the songs being stuck in your head. Yeah. They are so well written and so catchy and so upbeat. Well, I mean, even the slow ones, they they have that quality to where you just kind of get them stuck mm-hmm. in your head. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like most musicals we've listened to, there's at least one song that sticks with me for a couple days. And that's, I think, I mean, yeah. that's, that's a... the core of a musical. Because mm-hmm. if you don't have the music, then you really have nothing. You could have the greatest script ever, but if you don't have that the musical to to ribbon it through, it's not going to Well, yeah, a, pl- a play is not going to stick in your head like a musical does. And that's the power of musicals, I think. It's also so crazy how, like, a song can snap you back into, like, remembering the entire yes. show in an instant. Like, we were listening to show tunes the other day, and I'm sure it happened a lot for you guys. song would start up, and you're just like, oh! <laughs> I remember when we did this for this thing, and... I remember and some of the like, steps. In a snap second, it just that all just gets brought up. It's so cool. But yeah, a fun fact about this show though is because it did so well, the Calamity Jane was actually technically a ripoff of the show. Because they were like, oh, they really like this this strong woman, don't take no crap western. Let's do it again. <laughs> I mean, that still happens today. It, oh, see, yeah, absolutely. You see that, like, this, what was it, the Tombstone and Wyatt Earp? Yeah. They, Followed on each other's heels just because one was so successful. Yeah, that happens with any form of media. All the time, still, still right now. Yeah, so it's it definitely it definitely did well. I bet somebody else is doing a Broadway review podcast. (gasps) How dare they! Your success is overwhelming. They're like, we need to get on that. Podcasting is one of the most like saturated kind of. It's very crowded right right now, now. and we yeah. That's why we do it, you know, for funsies. Yes, but obviously, you guys are the best. Oh, okay. hey. I mean, I, Mama said it. Guys. Hey, hey anything they the can best. do, Sorry. we can do better. So, we can do better. <laughs> as is the theme of the show, right? Oh, that was so perfect, Amber. That we was can, so perfect. We can podcast anything better than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, yes we can. Yes, we can. <laughs> Mama said so. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, any, oh, any more thoughts about Act 1, everybody? I want to see kick more butt. Yay, more butt. Kick, kick. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Just cut it off. Just more yay, butts. Yay, more butts. <laughs> we 
we got a little bit of different thing. I because I forgot to give an actual theater fact. I realize that now. Kylie, uh, I put in some facts about the 1950 movie instead. If you want to read those through, will do. So Lewis Calhern replaced Frank Morgan as Buffalo Bill after Morgan died just as filming was getting underway. If you look closely at Buffalo Bill's very first appearance on his horse, you will see a second of Frank Morgan before the shot of Calhern. Hmm. Yeah, now yeah, now I gotta <laughs> gotta watch that. I'm curious. And Betty Hutton and Howard Keel did not get along during filming. Keel thought that Hudden cared more about her career than her co-stars. Oof. That happens a lot. A lot. <laughs> this was a huge, huge thing for Betty Hutton, though, too. And also, another little fact about that one is she went on to say that none of the crew liked her, and she felt very alienated because they just didn't like her and whatever. But they got the entire cast together later to do commentary or just like to talk about the show. And they raved about her performance. They thought she was just wonderful. And she was actually the only one that didn't show up to that uh, recording. Of the surviving members of the cast. But, I mean, they may not have thought her performance was great, but... They might not have liked might not have been her. a nice person. There's a lot of people that are, like, really good actors, but are terrible to work with. Yeah. True. True. But how rude of her not to show up? Sorry, Kylie didn't. Sorry. Oh, no. Continue. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I have been allowed. <laughs> Despite its popularity, the film was unavailable in any form from 1973 to 2000 due to legal tangling between Irving Berlin and MGM. It was finally re-released in 2000 after the 1998 Broadway revival renewed interest. So that's a, that's a long time to be tied up in a legal battle like that. That is insane to me. <laughs> so much money Irving Berlin dead. Yeah, uh, it went on to his... His estate after that, after he passed away, his estate still fought for the rights. And rights to the Broadway show cost $650,000 a record at the time. So yeah, so those are some little fun facts about the movie itself. For more information on the actual Annie Oakley, if I haven't spilled all of my information now because I get excited, we do have some facts up on our website, which will be on the blog for this episode. And you can find those at uh, www.ragtagnetwork.com. And that's under the Save Me an Isle Seat little tab. So for this show, since this is a Patreon-only episode, it won't have the the audio on there. But extra facts are up there for everyone to see. So they get interested in what you guys are listening to. Ha-ha. <laughs> 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 Brag to your friends. Make them jealous. Yes, please. Tell your friends. We're pretty great. <laughs> Mama says so. Mama says so. <laughs> You should put that on the website. Just, like Mama sticker. says we're great. <laughs> That's right. Mama's thinking yeah. Mama loves us. Mama does love you. Yes. Mama is so happy to be here with you guys. <laughs> so before we jump into our act two, we are going to do a little little plug because Mama is not just our wonderful Mama. I'm not just bragging about her because she's awesome to me. She is a eight-time book author, publisher. Got eight books out there. So if you want to tell us a little bit about what you got going on now and where they can find your information, here's your plug-in spot. Okay, so I have, since I have been published in writing, I love to write. Writing is probably one of my favorite things to do right now. Writing good. But so many people... <laughs> Word, paper, wood. <laughs> there's so many people who say that they want to write a book, but they get stuck and they don't know how to start or they don't know uh, how to finish or 
They get caught up on all these different things. So I have started a Facebook group. It's called the Writer's Lounge. And if you want to join us there, uh, I put in helpful hints. Uh, I do a lot of question and answer. So we're going to have a link to Mama's Facebook group in our show notes if you want to check her out. She does give a lot of helpful tips throughout the week, and it's a very good community to connect with other writers who might be stuck just like you are. So it's a very supportive community. And I think everyone should give it a, give it a peek. If you're interested in pursuing your writing in any regard, even if it's just on the side or if you want to actually publish these works, you should check it out. I'll also put a, a, a link to her website. She has a website where you can find her books and her other goings-ons in the world in our show notes as well. Do recommend. It's not just because she's my mom. She's great. <laughs> we all love her. She gets the kids seal of approval. Yes. What type of writing do you... What are your books? Is there like a topic that you usually cover? Your style? Yeah. I have several. Tell us. Okay. I have historical fiction, contemporary fiction. My newest one is falls into the supernatural fantasy. Yes, it does. Uh-huh. And I have two nonfiction. Okay. So a little bit of everything. And... If you really like listening to Annie Get Your Gun, you'll like her first ever published book, which is called Captive Heart, which, do you want to tell your story of your own book? I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> it ha- it's about a woman who is traveling to the Midwest, and she gets captured by Indians. Yeah. So it's a really good book. It was her first, first ever works, and I think it's probably still my favorite. It's my favorite, too. It's pretty fantastic. Still, yeah, I have a copy signed, of course. But there's no singing, so... There's no singing, so just insert your own soundtrack. I know. I thought I could just, like, open the book and hear music. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe an idea for your next book. That'd freak me out. Yeah. (laughs) Give me some audio pages. (laughs) (laughs) Just click on the page and, like, start singing. I mean, if you do it, like, through Kindle, you could probably set up something like that. True. Make it, like, a greeting card. Because both you girls who are writers, Amber and... Catherine, <laughs> but I know you. I know you guys put together your own playlist, which I think is really cool. Yes, I, that's not how I write, but it is covered. And when I when we talk about the writing stuff, that people do put together their own playlists, so that's the next best thing. Yeah. So even if you just need inspiration to do a podcast like we do, which is a lot of fun, you know, check out her Facebook group. The topics and discussions are you know for any types of writing. If you just need help with like script writing, you'll find support there. And so everything relating to my wonderful mother will be in our show notes and we'll link on our website as well. So you can find her very easily. Yeah, I would love to connect with you guys. I love, I love helping other people really tap into their, their skills and their, their craft. All right. So now that we went over our little ad spot there, we are going to jump into act two and see where all the shenanigans have taken us from last, last time we saw our characters. So when Annie returns from touring Europe with the Buffalo Bill show, which is super awesome, she learns that the show has actually gone broke. Whoops. Big whoops. I don't know who was in charge of the books then, but they went broke. And it so... a lot of money to tote all those horses and Indians and humans. Sure she did a European and... tour? A European tour. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely, they weren't getting paid enough, I think, because Annie Oakley was, like, the reason why they yeah. succeeded. So she like a SpongeBob, where like the best worker but barely gets paid anything. <laughs> no, she. I mean, she got a lot of the. She actually got a lot of the accolades and a lot of the oh, things. Okay. It didn't actually go to the show per se. Mm. Went to her, which was yeah. 
So Sitting Bull, Charlie, and Buffalo Bill think that their opposing show, Pawnee Bills, is doing super well. So they kind of want to bite the bullet and plot a merger with them. Like They're like, well, they're our rivals, but in order to survive in the show business, because we still like show business and want to continue what we love to do, let's figure out how to merge with them and kind of throw our assets their way so we are an awesome deal and they, they want to merge with us. So Annie still really longs for Frank, who is, as you remember, in Pawnee Bill's show, even though that she has gotten more experience with the world and has grown more cultured. So she's not that simple girl from the beginning. So she knows that she still loves him, even though she's had like all these other experiences. So it wasn't just a love at first sight deal. Like she still really cares about him. And she sings a song called I Got Lost in His Arms. So it's kind of sweet. Which is the longest, slowest song <laughs> That's probably why the entire show. It's not in all renditions. Oh, it's dreadful. <laughs> it's so dreadful. I fast forward through it in the movie. But <laughs> yeah. thought you all said you loved all these songs. I didn't see them all. It's a good show. Yeah. <laughs> Might be love skipping through one of them. Yep. Yep. So it it's works. Fun. It works, yeah. So Buffalo Bill's troop has a grand reception at the Hotel Brevort. Is that right? Brevort? Sure. Um, Brevort? <laughs> at the Hotel Brevort, where Pawnee Bill, Dolly, and Frank also want to merge with Buffalo Bill's, thinking that they made a ton of money while working in Europe. So they're both a little yeah, confused. <laughs> And when they get together, they learn that both shows are broke. Surprise, surprise. And so they <laughs> want to cancel the merger, because clearly it's not going to do anything to help anyone. But... You suck. No, you suck. We all suck. It's the, it's the Spider-Man meme. <laughs> the spi- we're pointing, pointing at each other. Pointing at each other. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. So, throughout all of this performing, Annie has actually received several medals for her sharpshooting all around the world, and they're worth like $100,000 which is insane. So she decides she's going to sell them to support the merger and bring the shows together, which is awesome of her. Yeah, she really likes what she does, you know? Yeah, and ever since the beginning... Ever since the beginning of the show, she's showed that she's okay with the simple things, you know? She doesn't need a lot of money and fancy things to get through her life. She just needs herself and her gun. Well, they told her that if the, if the, the two shows merger, she would be back with Frank. So she didn't even care about shooting anymore. She she would she would give up her stardom, she would give up her medals, she would give up her position in the show just so she could be with Frank. I mean, adorable. Yeah, Frank. Okay. <laughs> Who is this? Frank. Who's the man? <laughs> to be with Bob. Right. <laughs> Wait. Huh? Who's that guy? I mean, they talk about it in the next point. Sorry. I'm sorry. I wasn't <laughs> no. allowed to read the script. <laughs> yeah, neither were they. True. So guess what, guys? <laughs> uh, and so she sings about all this in the song I Got the Sun in the Morning and so of course Frank appears and him and Annie confess their love for one another and decide they want to get married which is the song An Old Fashioned oh. Wedding which was added later on and so super cute they're in love with each other yay yeah. and then Frank sees all of Annie's medals and of course his whiny baby syndrome pops up <laughs> and his pride gets hurt and they call off the merger and the wedding. You can't be better than me. Man. And so they, basically what that they is, challenge each other to one final shooting match. <laughs> because that's the way to solve That'll all your problems. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll shoot at things. At least they're together. not shooting at each other. 
That is true. At least they didn't it go hasn't that come route. to that yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As they take a ferry to head to the shooting site, Dolly attempts to ruin Annie's chances by tampering with her gun. Oh, dun, dun, dun. that's dangerous. This hoe. <laughs> and she is caught and stopped by Sitting Bull and Charlie. They actually decide to follow through with the plan so that Annie will lose the match, knowing that it will soothe Frank's ego and they could reconcile. So it's, it's kind of, yeah, so they're like, no, you can't do that. But wait, that's actually a really good idea. Oh, no. <laughs> Except, you know, completely dangerous. Yes. <laughs> that is just really childish. It's very childish. I mean, they portray these characters as very childish with the entire thing, though. So Frank is a toddler. Like, He's oh, a toddler. we're going to have to let him win every once in a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this big, strong man needs to win. <laughs> as the match is getting ready to begin, Annie and Frank's egos come out as they each claim to be better than one another in anything you can do. Fantastic song. Which is yep. what we were just referencing it. in our mission. <laughs> Such a fantastic song. No, you can't. It's just like <laughs> I've just realized I referenced that song in one of my books, too. Oh, look at you. There you go. Well, you can find that if you read. <laughs> yeah, a detour home. <laughs> Sitting Bull convinces Annie to purposefully lose the match, reminding her that she can't get a man with a gun. Just lose, honey. You'll get him. As Frank wins, the two reconcile and decide to marry, and the two shows go through with the merger. Yay. In the 1999 book, Frank also deliberately misses shots, and the match ends in a tie. So yes, in the 1999 book, Frank had more of a character development, I imagine, because he also realized his love for Annie was more important than being the big shot, so he purposely misses, but then she's also purposely missing, so they're both terrible, and they're like, nice, we tied. <laughs> we both suck. <laughs> totally, on accident. We're both losers. <laughs> Let's get but married. But we can be together. Yeah, so I, I, I like that the 1999 version kind of fixed Frank's character, because he wasn't really like that in real life either, you know? He wasn't such a sissy baby boy. Oh yeah, boy. he said he like, got married right away, yeah, like, he didn't yeah. have to... Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The one thing I didn't like is the idea that she just, like, loses the match to be with him because she shouldn't have to give up who she is to be with him. And so I definitely like that they both kind of tie at the end because it puts them on a much more even playing field and that's better for their relationship, I think. they're partners. Yeah, they're partners. They're not, like, one better than the other, and I think that's great. So, yeah, so that was Annie Get Your Gun. What does everyone think about this show? Uh, Very fun. Very fun. A lot of ups and downs. Kylie. I liked it. She said, yeah. (laughs) I need you to speak up. (laughs) Mama has spoken, Uh. Kylie. (laughs) I mean, use complete sentences. I can't. (laughs) There was a period with the... I hardly ever hear you in these episodes. (laughs) What's so silly is when we would come home from the Muni, you'd be quiet and quiet, quiet, and then all of a sudden, like in the last five minutes, you'd be like... Yeah, sometimes she'll do that. Right, sure. so this is the last five minutes in the car ride, Kylie. What did you think of the show? I liked it. <laughs> you better say something before she fights you. Through the computer. Right, I yes. will do this really high-pitched, screechy noise. Oh, let me just take my headphones off right now. <laughs> Thanks for the again. warning. No, I liked it. My favorite song is Anything You Can Do. I remember yes. actually like seeing someone sing it on some morning television show, and I really liked it then, and I still like it now. Oh. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've, I wonder which show. I've I seen think a few... it was Regis and Kelly that they had somebody singing that song. It might have even been Regis and Kelly singing that song. Oh, please no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but no, I yeah, I second that. I've seen a couple different like groups perform that one. Just on different. It's probably one of the most spoofed songs. Oh yeah, probably. It's so I mean, it's such a great battle song. Yes. Yeah, I think like I've seen it in like YouTube. Like, old YouTube videos and, like, animations and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just... Because everyone's seen Not this. having a musical background, I just thought it was a funny song. Mm-hmm. Also, a fun little factoid that I didn't I didn't put in there, but I should have. But she, when she's like, I, anything you wear, I can wear better, she, she gets frustrated and just yells, in your hat? Which, if you didn't think about it too hard, you're like, oh, I w- she would look better in your hat. But that's actually a reference to, you can just go... You go take a piss in your hat, and that was just like a big old. <laughs> oh. Yeah, uh, yeah, and so the the censorship it was like 1937 censorship had them take out that line because it was Good. yeah referencing such you know grossness or whatever because it was saying you know like a like cussing it was like cussing. So I thought that was oh how funny. the times have changed. Yeah, like now I like I never would have been like oh that that's what she meant right like you don't ever you don't ever hear yeah. You can now go say that to people and not offend yeah. them. In your hat. In your hat. Right. They'd be like, what? What? <laughs> I'm not wearing a hat. <laughs> Road rage. Yeah, that's what Kelly's going to start screaming at people while driving now. In your hat. Bro, in your <laughs> hat. <laughs> so yeah, so conclusion is we all really like this one. It's a lot of fun. Obviously, a lot of other people like it too because it's still, uh, you know, it's probably going to come back. I imagine there's going to be another revival of it. I would not be surprised if this one came back through Broadway at one point in time. And if it ever comes to a local theater, we definitely want to go see this one. Uh, as a kid, I always wanted to be Annie Oakley, the show. Yeah, this is one of the roles I've always wanted to do, too. It's so fun, you know? I'm not surprised. It's a mama top pick. Oh, I thought you were about to say that you were going to be Annie <laughs> yeah, Oakley, Why can't I? We just do a whole gender bent. Andrew Oakley. Switch up Andrew podcast. Oakley, yeah. yeah. That's a whole other podcast. I'm sure it's already out there. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. someone's done it. Yeah. Probably. So, what do you think of this side of podcasting? I have had so much fun. <laughs> Good. Yeah, so yeah, we want to definitely thank Mama for being on this special episode for our Patreon members. You're awesome. You get to hear Mama. And she's pretty great. And when I asked her about doing a show, because we're bus- we're actually visiting her right now. She does not live in our area, so I'm visiting her. Right we now. might sound a little different. We said, yeah, we sound a little different because we're re- recording on location, which you know is always a present, always presents its own problems. But we, she was super excited to be on the show, and it's always a little weird recording for the first time. It always, you know, just is. <laughs> but uh, she, she sounded like a natural. Look at you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, I uh, do this all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to make a personal request to everybody. Please subscribe and leave a review for this podcast. That way they can uh, get more attention and it'll be shared with more people. That way they can keep doing this. It keeps me entertained anyway. So yeah, you can find us at uh, anywhere you listen to your podcast. We're definitely on Apple and Google. And you can find more episodes like this one on our website, which is www.ragtagnetwork.com. We do a couple other shows on there we think you'd like to, you'd, you'd enjoy. So please tell anyone that you think would appreciate the show that you like it and 
We would love to hear more from you. If you want to just like reach out to us, give us tips, or just say hello. We like getting hellos. You can find us at savemeanisleseat at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at savemeanisleseat on Twitter. Thank you, guys. We'll catch you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.